0: grim vision. I am the thin man in a black hat, bringing you a tale of fear and unease. To some, it's a parting gift. To others, it's simply just business. Regardless, what's passed along to us from our departed loved ones carries a certain weight, be it emotional, financial, or etc. It can be such a burden, though, especially when you receive much more than anticipated in your inheritance.
1: To be completely honest, I don't know if I ever met my paternal grandfather. I never really spoke with anyone on dad's side of the family. We did see Mima every few Christmases, but she would come to us. My grandfather would always just stay back home in New Mexico. It had been like that for as long as I could remember, so I never really questioned it. My grandfather was not a part of my life. Even after Mima died, I never heard anything from him. Hell, come to think of it, I'm not even sure he was at her funeral. In light of this... I was very surprised when I received a phone call from a lawyer acting as the executor of my grandfather's estate. The lawyer informed me I needed to be present for the reading of his will, as my name was mentioned. He also let me know that my plane ticket and my motel room had been taken care of. I'd be arriving at the Cavern City air terminal this time Thursday. When I got off the phone with the lawyer, I called Dad immediately.
0: Really. Your name's in there?
1: Dad was as surprised as I was. He and Mom had flown out for the service last Monday and came back the next day. They were the only two in attendance. The real strange part, though, everything was already paid for. No hospitals, no paperwork. It was all taken care of. The pastor was the one who called to let Dad know that my grandfather had died. It seemed like the man just wanted to get himself in the ground as fast as possible when the time came.
0: I mean, this is my dad's character. Everything was always prompt, no explanations needed. Definitely kept his cards close to his chest. I think that's left over from his time in the military.
1: He was in the military? I asked. I had no idea.
0: Yeah, he served long before I was born, in New Mexico. He was actually stationed at an airfield about a 100 miles from Corona.
1: I arrived at the lawyer's office shortly after we landed. I'd assumed I would have the chance to set my bag down in my room, but the ride was waiting for me at the airport, complete with a chauffeur holding a sign with my last name on it. The receptionist led me to a conference room toward the back of the office. Soon, the lawyer stepped in with a few sheets of paper. We shook hands, and he told me we needed to wait for one more person. About ten minutes later, the receptionist brought another man into the room and closed the door behind her. He was stocky. A total meathead, really. He was wearing a nice-looking suit, though. made me feel very underdressed. He had a very stern look on his face, like he was frustrated. For lack of a better word, the guy looked like a total dick. I reached out to shake his hand. The lawyer looked up from the papers. That's not necessary, Mr. Reese. The meathead didn't even turn his head to acknowledge me. He just looked at the lawyer, practically staring him down. The lawyer flipped through his papers one last time and then cleared his throat.
0: throat)
1: Thank you both for being here, especially under these tragic circumstances, he began. I have with me the last will and testament of one Benjamin Michael Reese. The lawyer explained some legal jargon that went over my head and then read my grandfather's will. I expected something long, but as Dad had mentioned, it got straight to the point. To my grandson, Gavin, I leave you the house in Corona and all of its contents. Take care of it as well as I did. The meathead jumped from his seat, slamming a fist on the table in front of us.
0: God damn it!
1: The lawyer and I both winced. The meathead stormed out, slamming the door behind him. The lawyer gathered himself and apologized. Who is that guy, anyway? I asked. Per your grandfather... You don't need to know. The lawyer finished the will, and then recited more legal mumbo-jumbo that was beyond me. I signed a couple documents, and he slid the keys across the table to me. There's a truck on the property. That's yours, too, he said. Since you don't live here, I'd suggest selling the house, or perhaps renting it. It doesn't appear to be the most lucrative asset to possess. The lawyer offered to give me a ride to the house. I spotted the meathead sitting in an SUV a few spaces down in the parking lot. I noticed the government plates on it. He had a phone to his ear in one hand and a cigarette in the other. The window was slightly cracked. He was screaming.
2: I not the house. It
1: doesn't matter, we can't get inside. He noticed us walking to the car and quickly sped off. The drive lasted about two hours. Arriving in Corona, I understood what the lawyer was talking about. It was a small town, population less than 200. Seemed friendly enough, though. People waved to us from their porches when we passed. Before he left, the lawyer gave me his business card and my check-in info for the Corona Motel just up the street. They're coming by tomorrow to shut off the electricity. Call me when you decide what to do with the house. He said, shutting his door. Then driving off. It was a small house. My grandfather had asked me to take good care of it, but it looked like he'd done everything but that. All the windows were broken and boarded up. The roof looked close to collapse. It looked like he had tried to start some sort of garden beside the front steps. All that was there was a pile of dried dirt. Oddly enough, there was what looked like a small brick chimney on the roof. A run-down Tacoma was parked in the gravel driveway. To my surprise, it started on the first try. When I got to the front door, I discovered three deadbolt locks, two above the doorknob and one below. Stepping inside, I found an empty room. I think it was supposed to be the living room. No fireplace, though. Some light spilled in from between the boards on the windows. I set my bag down and closed the front door. I turned on my phone's flashlight. There were two doorways, one leading to what appeared to be an empty bedroom, and the other to the kitchen, which was in the center of the house. There was a door in the bedroom that I assumed led to a bathroom. In the kitchen, I was shocked to find no sort of appliance. No oven, no fridge, not even a sink. There was only another door with another three deadbolts. Assuming it led to the basement, I was skeptical and a bit freaked out. We've all seen movies with this exact same setup. I don't have time to be murdered in a basement in New Mexico, so I paid no mind to it and walked back to the living room. By now, I was feeling disappointed. Inheriting a house is great and all, but the place was a total dump. It would cost so much to fix things up, just to rent it out. For one thing, wiring some sort of ceiling fixture into every room in the house would cost me an arm and a leg. I needed to find a single light switch in there. At least selling it would guarantee a profit, even if I got $20 for it. I stepped back into the bedroom to take a look at the bathroom. I opened the door and discovered it was actually a closet. I was even more disappointed now, because I had no idea where I could take a leak in the house. Inside was a stack of cardboard boxes and an old rifle. Cha-ching, I thought to myself. Picking up the rifle, I looked it over. I'm not a gun nut or anything, but I like to think I know my way around these things. It looked to be in good shooting condition. Still loaded, too. I couldn't find any kind of safety on it. Definitely not a model from the last 40 years, at least. Should be worth good money. I carefully set the gun flat on the floor beside me and opened up one of the boxes. I found my grandfather's military jacket with decorations still attached and a framed master's degree in engineering. I put my phone in my pocket for a moment, lifted the box out of the closet and set it beside me. I propped my phone up on the degree and opened the second box. This one was filled to the brim with finely shredded paper. Against better judgment, I reached in to feel around for something. No luck. Just the bag of scrap paper. I grabbed my phone and shined it close to the box contents. It appeared to be all-college-ruled notebook paper, covered in chicken-scratch handwriting. Curious, I looked some of it over, as if I'd be able to match up a few pieces or something. Most of it was completely illegible. I found two strips I could actually read something off of. They read 1947 and Can Speak. The two things I'd learned while in the house. My grandfather had a master's in engineering and didn't want anyone to read his diary after he died. Realizing this had been quite a waste of time, I decided it was time to go to the motel. I call the lawyer tomorrow and figure out how to get the gun home to sell. The house was worthless to me. looked like no one had been here for years. There was no way that my grandfather was actually living here. There wasn't even a bathroom for Christ's sake. I picked up my phone and the rifle and headed for the front door. Then I heard it. It was a small sound. After being here alone, And in silence for 45 minutes, a small sound was deafening. Something had moved. It was the sound of something being pulled across the floor. Not something big though. I stopped dead in my tracks and just waited. I heard it again. My disappointment had given way to terror wasn't the sound of a rodent in the walls or the house settling. No. Something had moved. But that something wasn't on this floor of the house. It came from the basement. Shit. I thought to myself, I should just go. Any other situation, I would have left. No reason to stick around, but god damn it, if I inherited a house from a psychopath with some kidnapped person locked away in the basement. Well, my name was on the deed now. This was my problem. I carefully walked back to the kitchen and stood in front of the door. I swallowed hard. I shined my phone on the three locks. I hadn't noticed that the thumb turns were on the kitchen side of the door before. I heard a sound. A new sound. It was a tiny whimper. Oh, fuck. I slapped my hand over my mouth after realizing I said it out loud. I was sweating now. It finally hit me that it had to be at least 100 degrees in the house. I wiped my forehead with my shirt. Okay, I didn't do anything wrong. I whispered to myself, attempting some sort of reassurance. I'll just go down there for a second and see it's just nothing and get the hell out of here." I heard the whimper again and jumped. I'd completely forgotten about the rifle in my hand. Until then, I'd broken free from the tunnel vision to the door and looked down at the gun. I felt a bit more brave. I slowly opened the locks, one by one, opened the door silently and shined my phone to see a short, wooden staircase bound to collapse at any second. I took a deep breath and stepped forward onto the first step. I carefully placed a foot on the second step. My phone died. My eyes widened. My heart crashed into my stomach. It was dark now. I heard the pulling sound from before again, a little clearer now. I put my phone in my pocket and continued down the stairs, stumbling a bit as I reached the bottom. I held the rifle in my left hand, just letting the barrel drag across the floor. My heart had emerged from my stomach and was pounding now. I was now filled with dread, hoping to not have to hear the sound again. I took small steps, running my hand across the wall looking for anything remotely close to a light switch. It was made of smooth bricks, slick with some sort of grime. Finally, I found a switch. Resting my thumb on it, I took a breath. I could hear my pulse racing. A bead of sweat dripped down my nose. Even though I was in the dark, Closed my eyes, just stood there, listening for a moment. From the darkness, I picked up on the sound of soft, labored breathing. I felt sick. I wasn't alone. I flipped the switch. I opened my eyes. Two light bulbs on the ceiling struggled before illuminating. The dull light gave the basement a soft glow but it was empty like the rest of the house. The floor was damp. In the center of the room stood some sort of brick structure, extending from the floor to the ceiling. There was a thick chain wrapped around the structure. I leaned up against the wall, my eyes nearly boring through the brick in front of me. I lifted the gun. A spindly arm reached around the brick My legs gave out. I slid to the floor. There was someone chained up down here. Another arm came into view. I felt nauseous now. I was trembling. There was nothing that could prepare me for what was down here. From behind the brick structure came what I thought looked like a child at first. I was in disbelief. Its arms were long and thin. Four delicate fingers on each hand. Its legs were just as thin and brittle. Its skin looked smooth and was a dull gray tone. Its head was bulbous, massive in size compared to the rest of its form. On its face were two big, round, black eyes, exposed nostrils, and a small slit for a mouth. As it crawled out, slow, from behind the brick, the chain, connected to a collar-like fixture around its neck, dragged across the floor. My mouth hung open. I was unable to process what I was looking at, a goddamn alien. The being was practically dragging itself across the floor. It appeared weak. When it had made its way out from behind the structure, at each other for what felt like hours as i looked into its eyes my feelings of dread and terror began to disappear it rested there on its hands and knees and suddenly collapsed on the floor hitting its head hard it was wheezing i realized i was still pointing the gun so i set the rifle beside me and watched the being lay on its stomach slow and heavy. It let out the whimper I'd heard before. I wasn't afraid anymore. The being was frail, emaciated. I sat up. Please. I jumped, my hand instinctively landed on the rifle.
2: Please help.
1: There was a second voice in the room. It was completely emotionless. I looked around trying to find its source. Need help. My eyes landed on the being. It began to gently nod its head, and then cracked its mouth open. Its voice was low. It let out another sound, almost like a dissonant bird song.
2: It will be easier to understand me this way.
1: I understood. There wasn't a second voice in the room. The voice was inside my head. I have been here for so long. I do not understand why. What do you mean? I am a seeker. I came to. It let out a horrible wheezing sound. Its body convulsing.
2: Seeker? We look. My crew. We look. We wish to understand you. Our vessel malfunctioned.
1: I sat there,
2: dumbfounded. We make impact. All dead. But me. Like you, finds me. Like you? Not you. Like you. Finds me. Takes me here. Heals me. Keeps me. Hurts me hurts. Pain takes protection from me, touches me, burn.
1: It began to writhe, making more sounds while speaking to me internally.
2: He gives me food I cannot eat. I take in water. He left and did not come back.
1: I ache now. The being started to make a sound similar to dry heaving. It began convulsing. It was suffering, but the voice I heard still sounded calm. It does not stop. I call, and they do not come. I am alone. My form aches. I noticed I had a lump in my throat. Please. I felt a tear run down my cheek. Please help me. It started gagging. A foam slowly spilled from its mouth. Please. My hand was still on the rifle. I want to leave. I picked it up. I, I checked again. The rifle was loaded. I want to leave. I was crying. Please. I pointed the rifle at the being as it continued to
2: arrive on the ground. I want to go home.
1: the trigger its body was thrown across the floor before being whipped back by the chain around its neck the being lay motionless its head destroyed by the blast no blood no brain matter I threw the gun down curled up into a ball I sobbed I got it together and got myself back upstairs to the kitchen, leaving the gun in the basement. I stumbled through the living room and outside the front door. I puked beside the Tacoma in the driveway, and then opened the door and sat in the driver's seat for a while. I thought about what I should do. I looked up at the night sky and saw a shooting star. Something caught my eye in the rear view. There was a shovel in the bed of the truck. I drove the truck around to the back of the house and dug by headlight for a while. I wasn't sure how far to dig, so I just kept going until it felt deep enough. I went inside, emptied my bag in the living room, and took to the basement. The collar was tight around the thing's neck and appeared to be corroded. Thankfully, a few strikes with the shovel broke it, I gently picked up the being and placed it in my bag. It was as light as a newborn baby. I zipped the bag shut and brought it outside. I carefully placed it in the hole in the backyard and gently filled it back in. I wasn't sure where to go from there. After locking up the house, I got back in the truck and decided to just drive for a bit. Eventually, I found my way to the motel. I laid down in bed, got my phone on the charger, staring at the ceiling mindedly until I heard it buzz. Dad had texted me, wondering how things went. I let him know I'd call him tomorrow and apologized for the late response. Then I looked at the ceiling for a little while longer. I thought about the thing from the basement and how frail it was, how helpless it was. I thought about whatever my grandfather put it through. I thought about how alone it was there. I wondered where it went after I put it down. I wondered what would happen to it now. I reached into my pocket and pulled out the lawyer's card. I dialed his number, and an automated message asked me to leave a voicemail. Hi, it's Gavin. Gavin Reese sorry for calling so late, but I wanted to let you know I'm going to be keeping the house for myself. Thank you. Take care.
2: Thank you
0: for suffering the vision. Tonight featured production and a performance by Mike Bamford with a story by Jim Gulickson. Suffer the vision further by following us on Instagram at Grim Vision Podcast. If tonight left you cold and shaken, please consider donating to our Patreon for exclusive content and assorted ephemera. It's patreon.com slash Grim Podcast. The meek, the uninitiated, and general well-wishers may contact us at grimvisionpodcast at gmail.com. This has been Grim Vision. As always, I am the Thin Man in the Black Hat, and I'll be seeing you again.